jabbing me in the throat. So I don't know <laughs> what that must sound like on the other end there. Now, how are y'all this morning? Yeah? Anybody feeling a little weary from the cycle? What's happening in our world? But God is in control. Amen. Amen. This is a month of being talking about being all in. A month. It's a significant period of time. I want to give you guys a heads up. Today's sermon is a setup. I'm letting you know, at least. I don't want to, to trick you guys. I thought about it, but I didn't. Decided not to do that. It's a setup because we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go through and read a story I think many of us are familiar with Elijah against the prophets of Baal at, the, at Mount Carmel. I think many of us are familiar with that. We're going to unpack it, and there is, there is great stuff for us to learn in there, but there's going to be a twist, okay? So I'm letting you know up front. Okay. Maybe you, maybe, uh, don't be nervous. It's okay. Let me say that maybe. But I wanted to let you know off top. You know, we've been, uh, and if you want to open in your Bibles to 1 Kings, you could probably guess, we spent a significant time in 1 Kings this month. Yeah? Yeah? Right? Just like new light, huh? Just a new way of seeing some of these uh, familiar passages. Can we recall together kind of the people we've looked at over the past month when we've talked about being all in? Do you guys remember week one? Who was kind of the person we, we honed in on? King Asa, yeah, King Asa, very good, and, and how he was seeking success in, a, in God's way for a while, but then started seeking success his own way. Yeah, we can't relate to that, can we? And then after that, we looked at uh, Elisha, yeah? And do you guys kind of remember what was a, what was a pursuit of Wholeness. Wholeness, yeah, wholeness. Last week, uh, Gary did a message about uh, the measure of love with Solomon, Shlomo, Jedediah. Man of peace, man, uh, loved by God. Right? And interesting, ironic maybe, that someone named loved by God can fall out of love with God over time, right? This week we're looking at Elijah. Elijah. We're going to look at, uh, take a look at some people in the story uh, who make a decision to go all in, but all in in different ways. Yes? So let's do this. We're talking about souls on fire. Is that up there? It will be. Souls on fire. We can imagine. Yes. You know, in this passage, Israel's in a dark hour. One of the interesting things about 1 Kings is that highlights Israel's idolatry. It highlights their idolatry is on full display. That's part of the, the main ideas and focus within Kings. We see that very clearly. We have possibly the worst king and queen of Israel, King Ahab and then Queen Jezebel. Um, we see, and not to just put them on blast, but we see God's people in their dark hour choose to seek security um, in, in those people 
They choose to seek security in the spirit of the times instead of God. It's easier to, isn't it? Let's just be really real for a second. When things get hard, isn't it easier to embrace the social or political or even sometimes religious rhetoric of our culture? It is. That's been a part of my struggle, especially in these past few years, and it still is, to not just adopt those quips and those one-liners, right? Because they sound good. (laughs) And you're like, and it just, but it displaces your responsibility onto something else, and you don't have to wrestle with God. When you've got that, you can cling to. Let's go to 1 Kings 16. Our little, uh, I don't know if I need to say this anymore. I should probably just stop. We're going to be spending a significant amount of time in the text this morning. Okay? Okay? We, uh, we might just need to get some, like, WCC. What are those things you wear on your fingers when you flip pages? Those little rubber thingies? <laughs> yes! Mary! <laughs> yes! Well, we don't have cuts in here, right? We might need to get some of those. There you go. Like, we talk about sharing business cards and stuff like that. Share one of those with their church's name on it. They were like, what's this about? It's because we get into our Bible. All right, anyways. First Kings 16. First Kings 16. We're a little bit of backstory here. Um, in verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. A little bit about King Omri. You can read in that before if you want to go back, but King Omri, who was Ahab's dad, he was the one who really started to solidify the separate state of Israel away from Judah. He, he, he made it more concrete. He went and he built a new capital for Israel, and he went and he to build more ties to the Phoenicians and invited in their culture and religion, okay? So he was inviting in pagan way of living, pagan religion, pagan practices into Israel. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the... So, so that's what Omri did. Ahab, his son, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone before him. He was not only considered a trivial to commit the sins uh, of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but also married Jezebel, son of Ethbaal, son of the Sidonians, and to serve Baal and worship him. Um, you know, Jezebel, um, the significance of this here is that she was a high priestess of Asherah. And we've talked about this sometimes. I would maybe write that down, Asherah, and I would suggest perhaps go Google search Asherah worship but I'll worship later because I don't know if it's appropriate for me to get into the very specifics of what that worship looks like. We've done that a little bit. It's very graphic. It's no good. No good. She's the high priestess of Asher worship from Phoenicia. Do you see what's happening here? No pun intended. Israel is in bed with the world. Does that sound like Genesis 12? (laughs) Does that sound like the calling for God's people to be a blessing? No. No. And then we see God's, uh, one of God's greatest prophets, Elijah, um, who has been considered uh, the greatest prophet, Elijah, 
the Tishbite. Uh, here in verse uh, chapter 17, verse 1, we're going to hop there. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah is a forerunner of John the Baptist. Um, he was, some people kind of view him as a wild man, kind of like John the Baptist described as a wild man. Really a better way to describe that is this guy has fire. He has a fire in his belly. And if he does not speak out, if he does not act out, he will just combust. That's what this means. He's just, he's off. As young people might say today, he's built different. Okay? This is built a little different. He wore that, remember we talked about that robe, that hairy robe that became kind of the sign of a prophet. I don't want one of those. No, like, no, <laughs> that doesn't sound nice. Um, yeah, you guys remember this. Does this make sense? Elijah knows his text super well. He knows God's promises super well to the point where here in chapter 17, he goes and, tell a and he tells Ahab. Did God tell him to go tell Ahab? No. He just went and he said, by the way, God says this. He's binding God to his words. He knows God is a promise keeper. And so if, if I remind someone else of God's promises, God's going to act. God's going to intervene. Because when God's word goes out, does it come back empty? It does not. It does not. He's binding God to his word. And, and, there, and there's something to be said for that. He's, and he's not making this stuff up. This is from Deuteronomy. Uh, let's take a field trip to Deuteronomy 11. Come along with me. Deuteronomy 11. Um, in verse 16, um, this, is, this is a section in Deuteronomy where, where God's given some warnings out here. He says, take care lest your heart be deceived. You turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of their Lord will be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. The land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Well, what do you know? When that happens, that happens. <laughs> when Israel starts not trusting in God and start following other gods, the heavens shut up. They close up. There's no rain. Okay, are you with me? Does that make sense? Got this fire. He's, he's putting it out there. There's a drought, three and a half years. The people are under great pressure. Didn't you feel under great pressure when the toilet paper was selling out? <laughs> when all the bottled water was gone? Yes. We panic over stuff like that. Now imagine your entire food supply chain gone. Not just I can't have my brand of blank. I had to buy generic. It's, there is no blank. Mm -hmm. There is no food. So if we were that crazy without something superficial, in some ways, I don't want to, you know what I mean. How would we act, we, how would we act if there was no food? <laughs> if there was, I mean, come on. We got to heart check ourselves. We can't look at them and be like, oh, come on, just trust God. Angry. I was rushing to the store before I prayed about it. I'm being honest. Anyway, so I don't know if that's a side note or if that's a, 
That's a spirit note. <laughs> the people are under great pressure, especially the king. No water, no food. Yep. Let's go to chapter 18, 1 Kings 18. In verse 1, here we go, diving in. There's a little context. Diving in. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Don't forget what God told him to do here. Hold on to that. It says, go tell him I will send rain on the land. Okay, hold on to that. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I went to Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elisha. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, the troubler of Israel? Oh. Ouch. Have I not, have, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Je uh, Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Ahab blames a spiritual man for the trouble in the world. To use a modern term, he gaslights Elijah. Do you guys know what gaslighting is? And if you don't, it's when you use psychological or emotional uh, uh, ways of manipulating or persuading someone into believing that they're fake, that they're inferior, right? And, and it, it, it's, it's asking questions, or it's, it's, it's what he does here. Oh, hey, here comes the troubler of Israel. He's trying to elicit a response. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to put Elijah down. Yeah? yeah? Has that happened to you? There's something when you decide to live as a disciple, you are going to get gas lit to the fullest by the people closest to you. My heart's pounding right now. I feel this deeply in my life. This is one of the hardest things I've dealt with. You know, I think um, when you're all in for God, people will try to persuade and manipulate you into thinking that you're not if it doesn't fit their agenda. Mm. When have you done this? Who are you? You're doing this wrong. You're doing blank wrong. You're the problem. And I think since we're on the topic, there's a difference between a gracious rebuke and gaslighting someone. One requires a relationship and trust and a walking with. The other is agenda-driven. It's self-driven. I've been guilty of that. I, I look back when... I look back on some of the people I was wanting to walk with in life that I was so excited to, to build up and to, to be in a discipling relationship. And I look back now, I'm like, I said some bad stuff. I said some dumb stuff. I thought I was helping. But sometimes asking those provoking questions is not helpful if you don't have a relationship with someone, if you don't know them. A little bit of a story there, but I think while we're on the topic, that's important. Yeah? I think pretty clearly we can see from the text here, Ahab, was he doing that to up Elijah or to tear him down? To tear him down. 
Elijah places the blame for the drought squarely back where it belongs. It was, it was on the people who had turned away, the king and his idolatry. Remove the sin and the blessings will start again. It's called repentance in our language, right? Don't let people gaslight you for being a Christian or for you taking a stand spiritually when you're all in for God. Amen? Sin is the source of trouble in our world and generation. Let's not forget that. The human desire and tendency to seek self first, the, the idolatry of ego and survivalism is strong and alive today. The desire and temptation to be anything other than what God intended. You know, I, I, I notice myself doing this when I want to place blame. When I get in situations, things are hard. I'm in my dark hour, and I want to blame someone or something more than wrestle with God in my heart and deal with the sin in my heart. I'm just sharing to be vulnerable, just to share. Ab get owned by Elijah. So I don't know, this may be a question to ask and meditate on. So does the gaslighting work or does it backfire? I don't know. <laughs> Think about that. Because he got a response from Elijah. Even though he had been looking to kill Elijah, Elijah ends up telling the king, hey, this is what's going to go down. So let's read in the text, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? The Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Elijah responds in kind. He, in a way, and we could, this might be something to wrestle with, he kind of gaslights him back a little bit. Remember, this is a guy that has a fire in his belly. It's going to come out. Don't test Elijah. He says stuff. You know that term there to waver? Um, some of yours might say like stumble. It's got, we, are trans, we don't know how to translate it. You know what it really means? It means to it means a, like a sexually like eliciting dance. I'm not kidding. So this is a core part of Baal worship and Asher worship is that kind of dancing. Right? So in a way, I thought about how do I say this in a modern context that's not over the top. But in a way, Elijah's kind of saying, All right, when are you going to stop shaking it for both God and for Baal? I'm just. Yeah. Right. You might be offended right now. This is the language of the Bible. And I'm making it PG. Well, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> My face is probably red right now. Like, imagine if we went into the nitty-gritty. No. And the people said nothing. It says in the text, the people said nothing. These are God's people. He delivered them. He poured out to them. He gave them the promised land. He gave them a purpose and reminded them of who they are. And he walked with them. And they said nothing. Wow. Have you been in a situation where you're going to speak God's truth and love and goodness and something crazy goes on? Someone says something. Someone does something, makes a decision, and you're standing there trying to speak for truth. And there's people around you who say nothing. 
Let that not be us. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is not the picture of being all in. This is being all in for yourself. This is why Jesus hates somebody that's lukewarm. We see that in Revelation. We do this. I, I call this the Disney Plus factor. Disney Plus is great. I'm a subscriber. <laughs> right? That sounds like a, like a thing. Like, <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> but Disney Plus, what makes Disney Plus Disney Plus? Why do they call it that? Because it's Disney Plus Pixar, plus National Geographic, plus... Star Wars plus Marvel plus ESPN plus Hulu. They got it. They got game. I mean, I like it. I do. It's great. I think we want God plus. <laughs> Oops. I think we do. I want God plus my feelings. God plus my five-year plan. God plus my retirement plan. God plus my lifestyle. God plus my goals. God plus my preferences. God plus my fears. God plus, we're going to get more real. God plus my addiction. That's a hard one. That's real. God plus my political ideologies. Oh, got quiet there, okay. God plus my cultural ideologies. God plus my theology. God plus my view of the church. My view of the church. Yeah. For me, what I wrestle with is my anxiety. It's God plus my anxiety. I have Stockholm Syndrome with my anxiety. I don't like it. It's abusive. It's destructive. It's hurting my body. It's hurting my soul. It's hurting my mind but a part of me likes it because I know it. Part of me doesn't want to let it go. That's a wrestle. God plus my coping mechanisms. God plus. What's your plus? For them, it was God plus Baal. Trust me, we got our Baals today. Was Baal more than a, a God who was a conditional giver, who was only pleased enough when the slavish humans were hurting, were crying, were desecrating themselves? then he's satisfied enough to give. We have balls today that we worship. Yeah. Systems, ways of thinking, ways of living mm -hmm. that only operate based on the oppression of people. Right. Yeah. And some receive, but many are hurting. We have those today. Let's not be mistaken. You know, what's interesting is when we get challenged on it, we get quiet too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it might be contemplation, but 
we might also be being complicit. Maybe. 1 Kings 18, verses 22. Are we doing all right? Okay. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets. I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. I'm the only one. But Baal has 450. Get two bulls. For us, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces, put it on the wood, and not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, cool. No, they said, what you say is good. Cornet translation, cool. <laughs> Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Like, this guy just can't help but be a little snarky, huh? <laughs> Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. This proposal was hard to resist. Why? Because Baal was a god of fire. He was. He's a sun god. He's also the god of agricultural fertility. Rather than against the sun, agriculture, right? And um, the Canaanites worshipped him as a sun god, as a storm god, too, because of rain. And rain is what makes it grow, and sun is what makes it grow. He's usually depicted holding a lightning bolt, who defeated an enemy and producing crops. So this idea of that production of crops only comes on the back of someone being hurt or defeated. They also worshipped him as a, a, the, the agricultural fertility god who provided crops. Um, yeah, we'll get to the details on that. Like I said, if you want to research this further, you can. it is very graphic, but it tells you about, it gives you plenty of context here. Baal worship was just rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. He's also the Lord of rain and dew, the two forms of moisture that were indispensable for fertile, fertile soil in Canaan. Elijah was trapping the prophets of Baal in view of the entire nation. So here is one of our favorite stories. The showdown. The showdown. Man, it's like the lights turn off and you see like the lasers and <laughs> the microphone drops from the ceiling. Uh, what's that guy's name? McMahon or whatever? Is that who does that? Like, let's get ready to rumble. Is that right? All right, calm down, Ethan. <laughs> then they called in the name of Baal. We're in chapter 18 still. <clears throat> from morning till noon, Baal, answer us, they shouted. There's no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. This guy. And we're like, yeah, stick it to him. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy traveling. Maybe he's sleeping or must be awakened. Yeah, so when it says busy, I won't get into the, there's other stuff there. So they shouted louder, and I'm just, that's the Bible, y'all. They Shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. That tells you about their worship. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah exposes Baal as a weak imposter. Baal is incapable of doing 
Well, he's, he's, the, the rain god can't bring rain. The fire god can't bring fire. Hmm. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. When with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, we view this as like, this is really going to be the test because how do you burn water? But this is also a callback to the Jewish festival of Sukkot, which is calling on God for rain. So you call for your God in rain in the way you do, and we're going to call on the Lord for rain in the way, or for, for him to appear in the way we do. Right? At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known to you that you are God in Israel and that I and your son have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, that you're turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and all up the water in the trench. Elijah's building some tension here. He builds up the altar. The patriarchs had built this altar up. His fathers had built this altar up. It had been torn down by an idolatry. He builds a new altar with the 12 stones, one for each tide. He pours out 12 jars of water, and he says a super prayer, and boom! God answers, right? And that's where we're like, and who's running up the aisle? Who's coming up? Who, which one of you, you, who's all in? You, you, you. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had brought them down to the Shushan Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Elijah came to the top of bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Repentance brings your heart's got to be turned to God to experience some of that. Some of us wait to be refreshed before we go all in, but maybe it takes being all in to get that refreshment from the Lord. Yet something isn't quite right with Elijah. Because the story doesn't stop there, does it? It's clear where we stop, and we cut the story in two. There's this episode, next episode on Elijah, and he has this interaction with God. This is a two-parter, y'all. Or one-parter, rather. It's the same. Okay? We saw in the story where people going all in for themselves gets off. We saw Ahab went all in in his own way. We saw Jezebel was going all in in her way, and God's people were going all in in their way. And what about Elijah? 
He's got that fire in his belly. And he believes he's doing this for God. And, but, but what's going on here? Let's keep reading. Are you with me? Okay. Here, stop tantalizing. Let's just read. All right. 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do with me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. Does that sound like Elijah? The man with the fire in his belly? And he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He laid down slept under that broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then in verse 8, it says that he rose and ate and drank, went on the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. What is, what is going on here? What is going on? God showed up, yeah? He bound God to his word and God showed up, yeah? What happened? He gets fleas. He gets depressed. He's done with living. He views himself as a complete failure. He says, I'm no better than my father's. Israel didn't repent. Israel didn't repent. I'm no better than my father's. Even this, even, even this, God, didn't get them to turn away. God had never asked for Mount Carmel. Have you ever thought about that in this story? Go to, verse, go to chapter 17, verse 1. It says, go tell Ahab rain's coming. God didn't ask for that showdown. God didn't ask for that competition. That's Elijah. That's the fire belly. That's when Ahab said, hey, are you a troublemaker? He's like, all right, cool. Well, I wasn't going to say rain's coming, but let's also do this. And he gets in his mind, and he, and he takes his all in beyond God's words. Wow. That's good. wow. Some of us have a fire in our belly like Elijah. That is a gift from God. Not everybody has it. We have it in different ways, too. It looks different for different people. You have to say something. You have to do something. You have to act. You have to move. And I bet it gets you into a little trouble, too. God wants your fire. He wants your all in, but he wants it for him alone. So Elijah pauses. He receives God's grace. He receives that. Could he have rejected that food and that drink? Could he have said, no, I'm just going to lay here and be done? He receives God's grace, and he decides to draw near to God. I'm going to go to where Moses went when he was face-to-face with God. I'm going there. I need to get closer to God. And this is where we come full circle for being all in, because this is where we started a few weeks back. 
talking about Elisha. This is where we started. He came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like in this cave? Or more than that? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I have to believe there's a little bit of, I'm jealous for you, God. But aren't you supposed to be jealous for us? This is the guy with the fire in his belly. For the people of Israel forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the Lord. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by with a great and strong wind that tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Hadn't God previously for Israel showed up to them in those three ways? The fire, the pillar of cloud, the trembling on the mountain. That's how God has appeared to his people. So it's not to say that God's not. But listen to this. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper or a still silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face around. He's like, okay, that's it. (laughs) He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God's asking a question another time. I don't know if he really answered it great the first time. But what does Elijah do? I'm going to say the same thing, God. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel and forsaken their covenant, that have thrown down your altars and killed their prophets and the sword. Even I, only I am left. They seek my life to take it away. Where's Elijah's heart right now? Have you been there? The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in place. You remember that passage when we were there a few weeks back? Yeah, we're coming full circle now. When Elijah realized his all-in hadn't been aligning with God's words, he realized he had to get closer with God and engage God, despite how uncomfortable, despite how difficult, God appears to him in a low whisper, still silence. I, was, I went to a concert a few months back with a brother, and uh, I'll just say it was loud music, very loud. So loud that when we went to bed that night, have your ears ever been ringing so loud? Like you just, it's like, you, it's just like that, I don't know how to describe it, it's like that static white noise. Yes, yeah. You're just like, that's, it's silence, but it's loud. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. It sounds crazy to say, but it's silence, but it's loud. And you're like alone with your thoughts. <laughs> you are. You are. And it's like this feeling of like, it's like the sensory deprivation thing. Like you're just kind of there. And you're just like, it's eerie. It doesn't feel right. You can't hear your surroundings. You don't know what's around you. Those sound cues. 
we've got to get close and intimate with God. The most powerful workings of God aren't always in the fire, aren't always in the trembling, the earthquakes, aren't always in the powerful winds. The most powerful workings of God are in the quiet, intimate places. Do you believe that? Do you want that? I don't want that. I'm just being really honest. I would prefer the show. It's like God was telling Elijah that whole Mount Carmel thing that you did. That was cool. But that's not the end all. That wasn't it. We want so badly to Mount Carmel to be the end all. What are the Mount Carmels in your life? What are those things? Those displays of power? Those events that you think should be the end all to discipleship, to faith, to being a Christian? I'm going to speak very specifically to us in our church culture right now. And this isn't just me. This is with a plethora of people I've experienced. I think we build up some of these things to be the end all. Mm. I think with our young people, like camp, camp's the end all. Mm -hmm. Rallies, retreats, Mm -hmm. right? Conferences, jubilees, summits. We even have this culture of, and we've spoken about this, Sunday mornings being the end all. It's 0.8% of the week, y'all. I don't, I don't know if that works like that. God's plan is not for the Mount Carmel's of life to be the end all. Rather, it's getting closer to him. It's trusting his word and his timing and it's passing it on to others. Huge contests, apologetics, debates may have their place and may have some effect, but they don't change human hearts. Right. Right. Come on. What was God's answer? What did God call Elijah to do? He told him to go tell him there's rain coming, and then here. What does he tell him to do in response? Go. Go appoint these guys to lead. And you, Elijah, you go find this guy, Elisha. You go pass on what you've learned to him. Discipleship. Relationships. Intimacy. Knowing and being known. Amen? Be okay with the silence. God's there. Amen? Amen. Let's go all in together. Let's seek success in God's terms. Mm -hmm. Not our own. Not through metrics. Let's burn the plow and pursue wholeness in God. Not looking back, not keeping plan B or contingencies. 
Let's address and reject the competing loves in our lives and in our hearts. And direct, allow your soul to be on fire, but allow God to direct that. Follow God's words. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, We're going to take communion here in a moment. And uh, Brother Josh is going to come up and, and read a portion of Solomon's prayer as Solomon dedicates the temple, which is, is going to be very relevant as you hear this prayer. So Amen. Josh is going to read that for communion, your prayer. And as we take communion this morning, be reminded, as this passage will remind you, this isn't about your sin before God. This is about us, right. our sin, us as a community. I would like to challenge you to do something a little different this morning, if that's all right. When you take that little cup, and before you rip it and sip it, <laughs> it's okay to laugh. Look at the person next to you and exchange it with them. Right? Look at the person next to you and exchange it with them. Say, this is Christ's body and blood for us. Amen. Can you do that? Yes. Amen. Amen. Josh is going to come up and, and read, and we'll take communion together. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, like Ethan said, I'm, I'll be reading from uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 33. And this is Solomon's prayer, but it's, it's really my prayer for us today. When your people, Israel, sin against you and in consequence are defeated by an enemy, if they then turn back to you, acknowledge your name, and pray and make their plea to you in this house here in heaven, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to your ancestors. When they sin against you, and in consequence the sky is shut so that there is no rain, then if they pray toward this place, acknowledge your name, and turn from their sin when you have brought them low here in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel. Since you keep teaching them the good way by which they should live, you keep teaching them. And send down rain on your land, which you have given your peoples as their inheritance. If there is a famine in the land, or blight, windstorm, mildew, locusts, shearer worms, or if their enemy comes to the land and besieges them in any of their cities, no matter what kind of sickness, what kind of plague it is, then regardless of what prayer or plea anyone among all your people Israel makes, for each individual will know what is plaguing his own conscience. And the person spreads out his hands toward you. Here in heaven where you live and forgive and act, and since you know what is in each one's heart, give each person what his conduct deserves, because you, and only you, know all human hearts, so that they will fear you throughout the time they live in the land you gave your ancestors. Also, the foreigner who does not belong to your people, 
when he comes from a distant country because of your reputation, for they will hear of your great reputation, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward you, then here in heaven where you live and act in accordance with act in accordance with everything about which the foreigner is calling to you so that all the peoples of the earth will know your name and fear you as does your people Israel and so that they will know that the house which your son has built bears your name. 